0: Late at night, I would listen to the voices of the American masters. Tony Tennille, Debbie Boone, Anne Murray, who was actually a Canadian, working in the American idiom. And then there were the crypto, homo, rockers, Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, David Bowie, who was actually an idiom, working in America in canada these artists they left as deep an impression on me as that oven rack did on my face to be a young american in muskrat love soft as an easy chair not even the chair i am i said have i never been mellow and the colored girls sing Never with the melody. How could I do it better than Tony or or Lou? Hey boy, take a walk on the wild side.
1: Hi, Jesse here. Two things before we get started. Number one, if earlier you got a bad download of this episode, I really apologize. There's an error on the site with the automatic uh, post, and it ended up adding this episode to the stream before it was actually uploaded, so you might have gotten a Starship Troopers episode again, but with this episode's title. um, I'm really sorry about that, it shouldn't happen again. It was not a late April Fool's joke, I promise. I am... Pretty neurotic about this stuff So that kind of thing shouldn't slip through But this time it did and I apologize But you've got this episode now so congratulations You got it Um, Email me if you want a refund Now secondly and more importantly This episode is about Hedwig and the Angry Inch Which is an excellent and hilarious movie But one that also touches on some darker subjects And talking about the plot in this case means Talking about not just transsexuality But also issues of body disfigurement uh... and child abuse and we are not here to dwell on these things or talk super explicitly about them but they do appear for a bit later in the conversation and if that's something that you find upsetting or triggering to hear about i want to make sure that you had an opportunity to skip this episode if you chose and if that's the case no sweat we'll see you next time uh... cheers
0: all came from my hitchhiked away across the USA, plugged her eyebrows along the way, shaved her legs and then he was a she that said, hey honey, who say walk the wild side, oh, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side.
1: This is In The Cut and hello, I'm Jesse, I am joined by Whitney. Hi, Whitney. Hello. We're today going to talk about Heavyweight and the Angry Inch and as always, We talk about the whole movie and try to pick apart what we thought worked or didn't work. What we don't do is give you kind of a teaser or a review of the movie. We hope that you've already seen the movie by the time you're listening to this. Something we forgot to mention at the end of the last episode, though, is that there's links to ways you can watch the movie. If you go to inthecut.org, you can click on the links for ways to watch it on iTunes or Amazon. It's meant to be pretty handy that way. With that said, we can get right into it, I think. How many times would you say you've seen Hedwig and the Angry
2: Inch? Wow. Um, is it embarrassing if I answer truthfully? Maybe. Um, I feel like I have probably watched this movie 20 to 35 times, (laughs) 25 to 35 times is is my final answer.
1: (laughs) That's fantastic. I think it it qualifies you to talk about it.
2: Oh gosh, I hope so. A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So I've had 14 years to do that though. Mm. You know, it's, it didn't come out last year. So that's good.
1: So 2001's Hedwig and Angry inch was a is a musical which is not usually a genre that I'm like feel especially drawn to not one I've ever had a problem with or anything I, I mean I don't have a deep bench of movies to compare it to in my mind so it's like the way I came at it when I first saw it was as like kind of a spinal tappy like rock documentary you know, mockumentary, rocky mockumentary. Or
2: rocky mocku.
1: Yeah, rocky mocku, like uh, Spinal Tap, Um, which is, you know, obviously not the best way to kind of, which is not necessarily the best angle to be kind of, or the best lens to be viewing it through necessarily, but it's also a movie that, like, it's hard to know what to expect going into it, and I think I can honestly say there's not, I've never seen a movie like it. There may not be a movie quite like it
2: probably not quite like it I didn't know anything about it before I saw it I think I came into my first viewing of it maybe a third of the way through I had gone over to someone's house and they had it on and I was enthralled but I so I had zero expectations of what mm-hmm. was going to be going on which I think is much better than what has had happened to you which I don't know what it would be like if I went into that movie thinking it was going to be something akin to spinal tap I'm not sure you know <laughs> it might make my experience a little different but yeah I think it's something that draws on a tradition like Tommy, who's Tommy. It's more of a rock opera than a musical, per se. I mean, obviously it's a musical, but it's got a narrative arc and sort of intensity to it that I feel puts it in a different genre. Hmm. But I also don't know anything about musicals. I... Um, Enjoy a musical. I think West Side Story is great. I love Cabaret, but as far as really knowing anything about it, I'd rather see one on stage than see one on mo- on a screen. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it has a tradition that it's drawing on, but yes, I would agree that it's very, very different from anything that I have seen.
1: And it's one that it's a it's a story that existed in a slightly different form on stage before and after. Right. The movie came out. Right. And speaking of which, I mean, this viewing that we just watched it uh, a night or two ago uh, is the first time I've seen it since we saw it perform live. Oh, wow. At the Belasco um, with Neil Patrick Harris in 2014, last oh, year.
2: Yeah, I guess we watched it before we went on our trip, but yeah. we haven't watched it since. Yeah.
1: yeah I mean I hadn't you, You're sneaking viewings in every which
2: <laughs>
1: Every time I turn my head away So I didn't I don't want to speak for both of us But this is the first time I've seen it since then mm-hmm. And it gives you a new perspective on it I mean it's something that I, I mean I've said before But a lot of times I'll really Love a movie And not quite be able to put my finger on what I love about it And then find out that it was based on a play And some, for some reason in my mind It's just like oh right okay Well that's why that makes sense I mean, you know, you, you can probably extrapolate from that. I just really, you know, with a play, you, it's so character and dialogue and performance driven. And, and those are things that really can resonate a lot more than superficial things that, you know, movies can do. Uh, especially well or better than a play. Um, I showed you uh, Suburbia, the Richard, early Richard Linklater film that's one of my all-time favorites. I don't know, if, if I had thought ahead, I could probably give you a dozen examples of, uh, of movies that I that I immediately loved and then kind of like, I'll bet that was, bas- I mean, once you once you kind of figure out that that's what you love, you can start to kind of pick that out. Basic sets, you know, been venue shifts on kind of a regular schedule and, you know, mostly uh, a movie propelled by character development and not by physical action. And this being a musical, it's like a whole nother level. It's the, you know, because so much of the story is being told by the songs rather than by dialogue, although, you know, plenty is told via dialogue, too.
2: Yeah, I, this is not my thought, and it's an old conversation, and I don't know if it's cool necessarily to skip directly to the end of the movie.
1: I, le- I We do that about one third of the
2: time, okay. <laughs> so yeah. And we can revisit the end of the movie later if we're going more chronologically. But I think that the end of this movie is very much an animal of the stage. And I think that's why it doesn't work for me on a lot of levels. Because I think at the very last, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes or so, I feel like the movie switches back into a stage production. Hmm. And it hasn't been that for the rest of the film. And and so it's a little disjointed there Mm -hmm. but as far as what you're saying about movies that you really like having been adapted from the stage being character driven as I can I can see that 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 makes a lot of sense to me um you're being propelled by the human stories as opposed to the action or whatever but but at the same time right they are two very different venues and perhaps sometimes Mixing them doesn't go over so well hmm. like in the last thirty movies minutes of this movie, hmm. <laughs> but in my opinion,
1: mm-hmm. I think we should circle back to the ending though, because I think my thoughts about it draw on a lot of the other stuff <laughs> that happens that leads up to it too. So um, okay. we, I mean, we don't have to talk about the movie chronologically. I like to kind of pinball around, but yeah, we should. I think we should revisit.
2: Yeah, the for ending. sure. Well, and I think what you're getting to is that yes, I mean, so John Cameron Mitchell, who is the star and director of this movie had been building the character of Hedwig and the character of Tommy, really. I think if memory serves, Tommy is more of an autobiographical character for him because he grew up as like an army brat who had Commander Speck as a father. <laughs> um, and then I think in his collaboration with the guy who did the main music writing, Stephen Trask, they kind of decided to focus on Hedwig for the movie. but. Well, all of that's going on and talking and building characters and such, I believe that he was taking himself out to New York nightclubs as dressed as Hedwig and kind of just doing short, maybe 10 or 15 minute monologues. That, again, and, if memory serves, no one was paying attention to and wasn't like particularly well received. I can't remember. But
1: and this is you're talking about years before it was ever even an off Broadway production in the first place. This is kind of the genesis of the right. character. Yeah. Yeah.
0: My name is Hedwig. Please welcome those ambassadors of Eastern Bloc Rock, the Angry Inch. Here they are, ladies and gentlemen. And my man, Friday through Thursday, yeah. Yitzhak, ladies and gentlemen. There's no need, there's none. Also very talented and so very lucky to be here, right, boys? Yes, Mrs. Hedwig. Look out, guys immigration! <laughs> I've got their passports right here. Ladies and gentlemen. Do you like the pelt? I want you to be honest because some bitch stopped me on the way in. What poor, unfortunate creature had to die for you to wear that? My aunt Trudy, I replied, just walked away. Walked away, ladies and gentlemen. What? Yeah, is, what? Can we disallow now Do
2: you do you like this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I meant to go back and ask you because <laughs> you went into it for your very first time, thinking that it was going to be kind of spinal tappy and had an interesting experience but like what is your experience with it I liked
1: it you know it's a it's a movie that like a lot of movies I really love uh, the second viewing was really what crystallized it for me and the first one I f- you're a little bit awash in it Musicals are weird, and I've always, in, in the musicals I have seen, I have have bounced off, I mean, I've, I've liked musicals for sure, but, but one thing that always bounced off me a little bit is that the songs are always really, really literal and really, really on the nose. And I'm not really absorbing it, I'm kind of th- th- thinking about it too much to kind of lose myself in it. Mm-hmm. And what Hedwig can do is write really, really, like, literal and on-the-nose songs, but fit them into a character and a style of music that really serve literal and on-the-nose and, you know, in some cases really in your face and in some cases, you know, meant to upset the audience in the movie as well as kind of rattle the audience at home a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. The other thing that Hedwig does, obviously, is that it's not... So much character spontaneously bursting out into song in real-world settings. It's a story of a character in a seer playing a series of gigs, and in that way, it kind of like fits together pretty nicely. I mean, I, I think a pretty significant. What is there? Nine, I think there's nine songs by Hedwig, and give or take, as well as a handful of Tommy Nosa's songs. And I mean, if those are, you know, they're not like 10-minute songs or anything. They're pretty short and to the point, as they're designed to be. But even then, I mean, that's, you know, 40 to 60 minutes of screen time is spent in the songs, which may be more, possibly, there might be more of the songs than there is of non-song plot development. Probably. Which means that, you know, the bulk of the storytelling rests on the shoulders of the songs.
2: Maybe a more traditional musical, like Oklahoma, the plowman and the rancher should be friends um yes (laughs) i just met a girl like maria like yeah i mean yes they're very much on the nose they are telling you exactly the internal life of the person singing or the the group singing and it's yeah um and i i don't know if that's not interesting to you then it it's just not and there's you know there's nothing wrong with that but yeah i mean i think that is the genre and then also what kind of music do you like i you know that doesn't bother me so much in a song i would listen to that has nothing to do with a movie or a play you know i'm much more bothered by on the nose stuff that's like yitzhak in this movie when yitzhak like kind of basically wants to have sex with a wig and it tells you everything you know (laughs) like it's just like hitting me in the face all the time with yitzhak like needing to cross-dress and does that make sense like so that that sort of on-the-nose equality doesn't bother bother me at all in in either sort of genre of musical be it a more classical quote-unquote classic versus a more operatic rock thing
1: sure and i and i don't mean to say that it doesn't that 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 it's something that repels me but something that i have to put different ears on a little bit because I terrible hacky dialogue sounds like someone explaining what they're feeling like to another character. Because it's you know it means that the you know the writer <laughs> couldn't figure out how to portray it. You know couldn't figure out how to show it rather than tell it. And I think that a, a musical can work and get away with t- doing tell, doing a lot of telling. Um, but it's something you I that you I, I mean me speaking purely for myself I had to kind of acclimate to a little bit but can appreciate and you know once i kind of get get in gear with it mm-hmm. a little bit
2: well um, and i think that's something that we've talked about before in terms of maybe watching movies from the 30s 40s 50s mm-hmm. the acting is much more theatrical it's just a different style and it's not bad it's just takes exactly what you're saying it just takes a minute to get in that groove with it at least for me mm-hmm. Although maybe that's not your preferred thing because you would rather just maybe turn on a movie and be immersed and not have to, like, kind of re-connoiter <laughs> yourself sure. to enjoy it maybe. It would be distracting. And you want to just be enveloped, perhaps.
1: Sure. No. I, I don't know. I mean, to answer the original question, I love this movie. I'm, I'm, a, huge, I'm a huge fan and um, advocate for this movie. <laughs> that's, that's pun unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> But it's one that one that I think got passed over. I mean it's at least with the people I talk to about movies, they either haven't seen it or they love it.
2: Yeah, there's not a lot of grey area here. Right. I've I have had the exact same experience where it's either people absolutely love it or they ask me to repeat the title three times. Right. What is that?
1: (laughs) I love the line in the movie where she's not itch inch.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The movie ramps It uh, takes about 20, 25 minutes, correct me if I'm wrong, to ramp up to the six inches forward, five inches back song. You know, this is the level of gender intensity you're in for, for this movie. This, you know, and I I think that, you know, watching it with your mom, it might be a little bit like, that might be like, well, (laughs) not for, maybe let's just see what's on TV.
2: (laughs) I think that comes much later than 20 or 30 minutes in. Um, you Yeah, you get that song after you've been in Germany with Luther hmm. and uh, he has gone through his surgery. Right. And so there's been some songs and there's right. been, like, Menzie's Fair has happened. <laughs> so it's a, it's kind of a climactic <laughs> sure. uh, moment. And, you know, the really the only moment where we get, like, outright homophobia being one of the patrons hmm. in the bar yelling, should I say, I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, right. We can talk about that, maybe. Sure. But yeah, I mean, so it's really kind of an intense, and there's a brawl, and, and, and then Hedwig kind of floats off to
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, kind of deeper, more in a more deep way, explore some of the stuff we've been kind of just touching on.
1: Right. I mean, that the, something they get to do is have, like, these yes. shitty little backwater audiences be the audience stand-in in the movie. Yeah. So, like, a lot of times there's just shots of people, like, I'm just trying to fucking eat, eat. dinner. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but during that song there's just a lot of like people like putting their forks down and like yeah. getting mad or just like getting up and leaving I think a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say one of my random notes that I wasn't sure where it would fit in, but wanted to make sure that it happened was um, talking about Bilgewater's patrons. They're one of the small touches of this movie that just makes me <laughs> delighted. Like, Because you're right. They have the people who are like, oh, my God, I didn't know. I just came here to eat. Right. Like, that's happened to all of us, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, no. Oh, God, we're here. We're stuck with food. And, like, a band is setting up? Don't want it. And then you have the people who are intrigued, <laughs> like, sure. you know? Um, or the husband who's mad and the wife who's, like, kind of got, like, <laughs> like really interested face on, you know? And then, yeah, I don't know. They just run the gamut. And then the old Jewish man men when they're in Miami Beach who are kind of just, like, dancing along. I don't know. They, if you just spend your time looking at different Bilgewater patrons, there's also a guy at the beginning who I'm pretty sure the actor is cracking up because um, John Cameron Mitchell is being so awesome <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and he like kicks open the door and is yelling at Tommy out the street right right um, so
1: a moment right from the play that, that works really well on stage too they do something with the set on stage is, um, is they just have a back door that Hedwig can kick open and then you can hear the and,
2: covers and, and, yeah
1: right and, and it's like it's really effective because from the audience of the play you might as well be right next you might, be, might as well be sitting in a building that's right next door to where Tommy Gnosis is playing, and it's, you know, audio, the sound design of it, when they kick the door open, and then the music's like booming in from the stage, and then it slams shut, and you can't hear it anymore. It's perfect. It's yeah. really, it's really effective.
0: Honey, another thing I really thought about, I think it's a bad idea, this photo op idea. I really your idea. I know, but I'm, I'm second-guessing myself now. I think, I don't think you should have any personal contact with Tommy. Well, I, I guess really we do. disagree. Well, honey, we do right? disagree, but please did we, did listen did you to put, me. me, did, did you put a bra in a dryer? What? Did you put a bra in a dryer? Yes. How many times do I have to tell you? You don't put a bra in a dryer! It warps!
1: I mean, this maybe this is dumb, but I never picked up on the Bilge Waters thing. In fact, I sat down with a piece of paper, and one of the first notes I took was like, I wrote venues, and I drew a line underneath it. And I was like, I'm going to write down all the shitty little backwater places that mm-hmm. Hedwig plays. And it was like, bilge water, bilge water, bilge water, <laughs> bilge water. <laughs> How did I never fucking <laughs> notice that she's playing the same, like, shitty, like, uh, fish, like, seafood restaurant like across the nation. seafood
2: buffet. Yeah. <laughs> so, in that scene where Phyllis... And, of course,
1: there's flashbacks where there's other venues, too, like the mall and different things like that. But, but, yeah, all the the current shadowing Tommy Gnosis tour is, like... Is Bill's Waters. Yeah. Bill's Waters. So, that
2: scene where Phyllis says, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, not itch, inch. Right. She's on the phone, and you can hear her in the background saying... The whole chain is shutting down. Oh, so we can play any bilge waters with 24-hour notice anywhere in the country. So that's right why. So nice. they get to just be because the <laughs> restaurant's shutting down and they don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> right. So, so love that it's called bilge waters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. What I mean, and one of the things I, I noticed in, in reading about the movie, um, you know, there was a there was a subplot where Phyllis is the Agent's name. She has like a cell phone implanted in her tooth, hmm. and like that's kind of a running gag. But I can see leaving that on the cutting room floor because it's a little too cockamamie. And sure. I think that as well, I mean, fun and silly as the story is. You, I think you want to. You don't want to like make shit up wholesale because I think that the movie is well served by being grounded in reality.
2: Yeah, and then that character, she's. Agent slash manager, what I mean, money lady, mm-hmm. organizational, and they've named her Philistine already. So, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, yeah. We don't need a cell phone in the tooth, like we right. understand. Which, although, I mean, I think that's kind of unfair to her because I think she seems awesome. Like, I think that she, like, an actual definition of a Philistine, like, I don't hmm. think that's her. Right. I think she seems to have a, a good heart and actually really, really care about the art that Hedwig is making, but whatever.
1: She does. In fact, she's one of the only characters that really seems to get off scot-free in the movie yeah. and and only ever really has the sweetest intentions and is, you know, not perfect. She can't pull off everything she wants to pull off, but is really just, like, there to be in Hedwig's corner. I
2: mean, she wants Hedwig to use her fucking brooch. I mean, cause, like, she's, like, totally in her corner. And, yeah. Like, this Tommy stuff, like, makes her just as mad yeah. as Hedwig. And, totally. Yeah.
1: yeah where would Hedwig be without Phyllis that's really really it's fun to think about because Phyllis doesn't really have a spot in the stage production it wouldn't fit it doesn't that's she's kind of um, needs
2: to be an image in the movie because there's yeah, there was no reason for her to be in the scene.
1: Right. She, there would be nowhere to fit, but I think she's a really important part of the movie in, in terms of um, just, just grounding, you know, keeping Hedwig reeled in. Because Hedwig is, like, is, like, total, like, tyrannical for, to her band. Yeah. So if Hedwig was in a bad mood and didn't want to go to the next show, the movie would grind to a halt because no one overrides Hedwig. Right. But I like that Phyllis gets to be there just to kind of, like, She's not under Hedwig's thumb, but also is not, like, bossing Hedwig around.
2: Well, and also, Hedwig does not have any... Despite being tyrannical towards her band and being very mercurial in her moods, like, she doesn't have any good intentions here. She just wants to fuck with Tommy. So, Mm. like, that scene where Phyllis is like, well, he's basically back on the bus, and she's like, don't lie to me, what is he doing? It's like, you cannot stalk him. Like, don't do that. So we need to let... So Phyllis, like, reins her in and, like kind of makes her shadowing of Tommy Tour a good political statement as opposed to just a spiteful and <laughs> horrible shit show, you know? Like, she's keeping that shit under lock, but, yeah. I think she's a great character, and also, of course, when she escorts Yitzhak out of the hotel room after Hedwig has right. torn up his passport in the most horrifying meanness... <laughs> um, that shows a real cruelty
1: to Hedwig that's not in the stage performance that we saw no. either. I thought that was a uh, an intense scene in the movie and said a lot, I thought.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you if you like Hedwig um, and it occurred to me today that I really do mm-hmm. but the movie shows her to be really awful a lot of the time. And of course we're involved in watching her backstory which is heartbreaking and so we have a place of empathy to come from with that but I mean if you were her band would you you know she can be really really awful and and I think so I don't know I guess the movie does a good job of making you sympathize with somebody who's you know for all intents and purposes usually really mean I I, I mean I don't know
1: right the scene scene where um the scene where she rips up the passport is... There's there's not two sides to that, you know? No. In, the, in that, you know, there's not like... Well, if only you understood what Hedwig was trying to do. Or, there's none of that. No. And a movie that John Cameron Mitchell, like, writes, directs, and stars in, you could see how it might be seductive to try and always put a shade of like, well, they had ever, you know, Hedwig had everyone's best interests at heart. So, you know, just no uh, one, yeah. no one really realized what she was doing in this moment. But, but no, he, he uh, unreservedly makes this, this very, very uh, wicked, selfish, awful, uh, spiteful, petty moment. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's a bigger understanding, as you're saying about like why Hedwig is, is like, basically, like, hates and loves her audience, hates and loves her band, and hates and loves Tommy, mm-hmm. um, and is driven to spiteful, you know, actions and moments like that, and you can really understand it, but it doesn't get Hedwig off the hook for for some really cruel moments, for sure.
2: Sure. And now that you're saying that, I, I hadn't put it exactly in that way in my own head before, but... I mean, what a compelling character. Like, who, who who hasn't been just that shitty person every now and again? And, like, thank you, movie, for not trying to explain it away. Right. Sometimes we're just human beings who suck at being human beings to other people. And so in this question of do I like her and why, maybe that's a reason. Because she's completely human. Like, she's completely fallible. Can be awful and be great and all the things all at once. It's not black. It's not white. She's, yeah.
1: As a person, yeah. I mean, I'm on the, you know, I'm on the fence. It's, I think that the movie wouldn't work if Hedwig wasn't, fucking hilarious and super super sharp and quick-witted and just sarcastic and just a fucking pure like joy to watch so of course there's that of course there's hedwig the diva slash like amazing you know band front woman slash like quippy you know one-liner rich never takes things quite seriously enough uh, and that's it's and it's just a total joy and fun to watch. But yeah, she's obviously like ultra ultra self obsessed and ultra ultra you know confused and externalizes her own issues and you know it's it, it can it like like we were saying it's also sometimes hard to watch. So I mean sure I I love her as a flawed person too. But I think that by the end you see that a lot of that was a shell that the real person can finally kind of come and be birthed from. And you're, and it's sort of a relief to see some of that left behind, I think, by the end of the movie.
2: Yeah. To go back to the Yitzhak passport moment, I think that Hedwig really resents and sometimes even hates Yitzhak for, because Yitzhak wants to cross-dress and mm-hmm. Yitzhak wants to inhabit that role that Hedwig in a lot of ways has been forced to inhabit, and I think that that is maybe some of the basis of her cruelty to him. His enjoyment of the makeup and the wigs and the show and all of that, I think she just really resents because right. she, she she doesn't enjoy that. That's not... I don't think that's who she wants to be.
1: I, I think that there's, there, there's no question that one of the running... the th- things you can pick up on in the movie that I didn't immediately... Um, is that uh, Hedwig and Yitzhak's relationship is really difficult because Hedwig won't be w- doesn't it won't play second fiddle even for a second, and this is something that I think was more literal, like more directly addressed in the stage version of this, um, if memory serves. But like Yitzhak once was a crossdresser before they met and couldn't be with Hedwig unless he stopped cross-dressing because Hedwig refused to be upstaged. And Hedwig's, like, pulling out the plug from Yitzhak's mic when Yitzhak starts singing. which Pushes him out of the way. But again,
2: right, like, that's kind of what we're talking about with, like, her, she's so horrible, but, like, how funny was that? How funny is that when she pulls (laughs) this mic cord out? Like, you just want to love and hate her at the same time. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. And Yitzhak, I think, hence her holding the passport and all of that, like, an agreement to get married and get to leave Eastern Europe and all of this comes with these sort of sacrifices.
0: I am thrilled you can join me for the fabulous first night of the St. Louis leg of my world tour. And when it comes to huge openings, a lot of people think of me. Many more of you, though, have only recently become aware of me. Yeah, it took a character assassination piece like this to make you finally pay attention. But now you're interested, huh? Intrigued, even? How did some slip of a girly boy from Communist East Berlin become the internationally ignored song stylist barely standing before you? That's what I want to talk about tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I don't I don't want to talk about sudden undeserved commercial success i don't want to talk about betrayal i don't want to talk about my lawsuit against a certain rock and roll icon tommy gnosis who by some freak coincidence is performing right next door at bush stadium the whom i taught everything he does Get
1: roll. And in the, and on stage, the climactic moment of the film is the passing of the wig to Yitzhak. It's something that happens in the end of Hedwig, but it's one of many climactic things in the in the film version. Yeah. And it, there's a lot to circle back to there. Um, but I, speaking of the ending, I think that one of my real problems with Hedwig as a movie is that it ends a bunch of times. Yeah. And it's hard to know how better to do it. I mean, I think that the film version has more to wrap up than the stage version, because there's more plot threads, there's more characters, and there's more things that are set in motion in the first half of the movie um, that need to be resolved. Um, And some of the things it does above and beyond what happens on stage uh, are, are... Wonderful and amazing and welcome, and I think um, part of what makes it an incredible movie. But it also, really, the third, fourth, fifth time I watched this movie, I was like, I, I would be thinking, okay, this is where it ends, and then it, this a new thing would start, and I'd be like, oh my god, that wasn't the end of the movie, was it? There's more. Okay, and then it, it like would happen again. And
2: well, is this a good time to talk about the ending? That I, I mean, I think that you're right. There are, I'd um, say, maybe. T- two possible endings before we get to like the three main endings <laughs> <laughs> and the, the third main ending being the birth canal sure. the actual ending mm. but um you've got quite a lot going on there but I think one of the things that maybe could have happened is that when Hedwig has been caught with Tommy She's gone on Rosie O'Donnell and made New York Magazine, and so me, she's, everything's fine now. Um, let me interject for a split famous. second.
1: Did you know that that's an actual Rosie O'Donnell appearance be- from before the movie existed? uh huh Yep. Oh,
2: that's cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Rosie, <laughs> that's fun thing. Rosie insisted.
2: Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I really like that. But yeah, so then she comes to Bilgewaters in Times Square, the Bilgewaters of all Bilgewaters, right? And there's an right. actual crowd there to see her, and people are lauding her and, and appreciating her. And uh, so she could sing All Sewn Up, tear off her drag, maybe a wig handoff at that point happens with Yitzhak,
0: Hmm.
2: something in there Mm -hmm. somehow, and then she can crawl outside and go out the birth canal, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: cutting out the entire scene in which suddenly we're in a dark room and her and Tommy are talking to each other, which this is what I'm saying about a stage production. Think about how that would look on stage. You're in one setting. All of a sudden the stage goes black. You put a spot somewhere and like Tommy's standing somewhere up high and they're like having a conversation. That makes sense to me that that would be a device you could use in theater. In this movie, it's choppy. It's weird. We've never been in Hedwig's brain like that. We've gone back and forth. We've had flashbacks. We've had animation, but we've never fully switched location to an imaginary place. With an, and hadn't had an imaginary conversation with Tom, you know, it just feels completely weird. And it's, you know, he sings most of Wicked Little Town again and they kind of cry at each other and mm-hmm. say goodbye. And then he walks out underneath the Gnosis sign and it's shot from below. And I just, ugh, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a good ending you could lose <laughs> that takes up about 10 minutes of mm-hmm. the movie. That's just, I just, I don't know, I really just, I really don't like that part.
1: I, I really do.
2: <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I
1: really, I think that, that you're right at that it's a big departure. And if you're not along with it, it's, it's kind of, I'm sure it's like annoying and like tedious. But I think it's really earned. And I think that there's a few things going on there that I really appreciate. One is that it's the culmination of a movie long story of Hedwig pushing to get to Tommy. And they sort of have that in when they actually meet each other in the car. They actually physically are in the you know, it's well, this is where this is a part of the movie where gender pronouns start to get confusing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, something we can we can we dig dig mention. more deeply yeah. into. I don't know. I, I think that I think there's a there's a, so much pays off for me in that in that part of the movie. And one is you are seeing Hedwig or Hansel as as he might even be thinking of himself again for the first time just stripped bare after an entire movie of having incredibly extravagant dress, different wigs, different incredibly extravagant makeup things, stage dressing a whole band and everything. It's you, you get to see like the actual like the stripped down na- effectively naked version and I think that that's something that's really incredibly visually striking. Not the least of which because John Cameron Mitchell's like Gorgeous and intense looking, mm-hmm. just with his shirt off and with like dark circles bit around of, his eyes. A bit that of it's eyeliner. like, yeah. it's it makes me real a little bit just to see just that on the screen is like a gut punch, mm-hmm. I think. And um, I think there's a lot there.
2: It's impossible to say because we do have that scene in the dark room with mm-hmm. him and Tommy, but he's wearing the same. Thing in the Bilgewater's once Bilgewater's has turned white mm-hmm. and does midnight radio, he's mm-hmm. got the silver cross. But mm-hmm. um, you know, you get that same sort of body image mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's very, very striking. I agree. I agree with you. So is the thing, the interaction between him and Tommy, really, is what is super affecting? Because again. And obviously, it's not my job to write these movies. People do that who are good at it. But if there was some sort of cut there where we still get that good body image and we still get the wake handoff and the wonderful Midnight Radio song and his Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, he's crying and he's very emotional and you can see that he's had a a revelation and made a pivot... So is it him and Tommy that's really? Well, like I said, I think that
1: scene serves several purposes to, or, or hits several things for me. And what one is that? One is the just the visual of that, and against the black background, I think is different than against the white background. Although the movie plays a lot with black and white stuff too, which I think is fun. But to answer your question, I, I think no, it would, it wouldn't work as well for me because what leads into it. It's it's such a quiet moment. I mean, the reason to put it on black is because you want it visually to be really, really quiet. But that it's coming from the most frenetic, chaotic Hedwig. You know, like tearing his clothes and everything is being ripped apart, and then it just. Just like Go it silent. just disappears, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Not world, silent. the world disappears, kind of. And I think that it's you know you can draw comparisons to how a, how movies sometimes will show a mental breakdown happening, where it's just like sna- suddenly the wire snaps, kind of thing. Um, so there's that. There's another thing going on there too that I think it, it stays a, it stays a little close to reality in that you could read it as a scene of literal Hedwig literally just sprint running out on the show and just crashing the actual concert next door and actually going and seeing Tommy, but having wow. such a moment that that it's like all Hedwig can think or see is the two of them. I guess so. I don't know. The, the movie doesn't make it that explicit, so it's not even... I don't even know that that's the intention of the scene, but it could be that way. It's funny that
2: never... I mean, I, I had had that thought, but it never worked for me that it was like well maybe he ran a store to Madison Square Gardens and this is kind of just his blinders are on right Tommy's singing and he's talking to him um but I don't know and
1: but the third thing that that scene does is um I mean in the in the stage performance the actor playing Hedwig plays Tommy in that moment and it's it's kind of a venue change in the version we saw with Neil Patrick Harris that did the incredible thing where the stage rose in a column underneath his feet and he would he was kind of just like looking down on the audience in a similar way too but that that the movie kind of confuses the two of them in a certain way and that's why we come out of it with Hedwig with the cross on his forehead and things like that but what I like about it is there is I'm sorry to just go on and on about this but A major theme of the movie is this kind of like Cyrano de Bergerac thing, where Hedwig wrote the songs, but Tommy is the one getting all the accolades for them. And it's it's unlike with Cyrano; it's actually really frustrating, you know, and upsetting. And he wants credit for writing the music.
2: Well, so did Cyrano because he was actually in love with (laughs) right, right,
1: totally. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so so there's that, and and the the moment, and so you're watching Tommy sing the song that belongs to Hedwig. And there's a, there's a moment where his lips stop moving, but the song keeps going on. And it's sort of like it just stops belonging to either of them and just kind of continues off into the world is how I took that. And in the, you, you could, I mean, if you wanted to read too much into it, like I like to do with everything, it could be a moment of just release for Hedwig that, well, it's not really his song either. Once the song is out, it belongs to the people here, and it belongs to the world In the same way you know any piece of art you know almost more belongs to its audience than to the creator
2: well that's a step beyond and something that i also really like about that scene um is that moment when tommy stops Mm lip-syncing the words and it's just kind of floating in Mm -hmm. the background and they do have a nice eye contact and as opposed to him like kind of singing at hedwig so i i like that too and I, i like what you're saying about yeah once yep once you create a thing and put it out to the world, it's not yours or anyone's anymore. Right. You know, it belongs to the people who experience it. Um, and there's
1: no real taking it back from Tommy. It's just out. It's, it's just, it's, it's there. Happened. Right.
2: Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I still, I just, I really can't get behind it. I feel like he and Tommy, okay, so here we are with the pronouns. We should probably address this sooner than later. <laughs> but um, I feel like Hedwig and Tommy... Had their moment in the limo, and it's adorable, and it's great, and it is all that Tommy is capable of because hmm. that is as big of a person as he is. Mm-hmm. And they get to have their laughs again, and then Hedwig gets to be reminded of what like uh, she has that moment of oh did you spring did you just sing the Cyrus in that recording rather right rather
1: than Osiris?
2: So what a great we haven't we all had that moment too where you're like kind of hanging out with somebody that maybe you've held a torch for, and then they say something and you're like wait what were you always you always were like this weren't you you always did this or or what have you you know and it's just kind of that recognition of and then another catastrophe happens and Tommy is a piece of shit and I think you know I want Hedwig to have some reckoning and I want her to have um, a return to Hansel and to herself I love it with her doing it through music and not standing in some weird dark room Mm -hmm. staring at shitty Tommy so maybe I just want something different <laughs> I mean right. I feel like Tommy should not be in the movie again after the limo huh, yeah. and he has his like I never knew that woman and I never knew she wasn't right. a woman like like the, his like last comical scene that tells you exactly everything you need to know he's still a piece of shit like <laughs> just yeah and then maybe Hedwig's reckoning could come in some other way I mean it does in that she rips off her costume but Maybe it would have been more touching to me to have her have a reckoning with Yitzhak, like someone she's been torturing for a
1: right.
2: long time. It's just,
1: although I think the thing with Yitzhak is that Yitzhak was really never in Hedwig's heart.
2: No, she was. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, she like Hedwig really, really loved Tommy, and right. Yitzhak was a marriage of convenience. I don't know. I guess I wanted her to be done with Tommy totally. prior, and maybe have her reckoning be more about something else sure something else like sure, and Maybe yeah. not, not a reckoning with Yitzhak but like a reckoning about the shitty person that she's been to Yitzhak you mm-hmm. know something like that where it's I don't know and again I don't write movies for a reason but like, mm-hmm. you know there could be a nice scene somewhere there in the middle that mm-hmm. could do the same sort of have the same sort of emotional impact and release of Hedwig because that's what that is right mm-hmm. her seeing and saying goodbye to Tommy it's, it's, it's a huge release um, and a letting go and a breathing in a fresh new air and deciding to move forward. I think that could have been accomplished in several ways without having to stand there and look at stupid Tommy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, is Tommy Nosa supposed to look exactly like Billy Corgan? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that the moment I saw the fucking guy, really? and then as soon as he's in the makeup and everything, Aww. I don't know. It Maybe? just, It could just be a fluke of the actor, but I just... I swear to God... It, it could be
2: your own feelings about Billy Corey. No! I
1: mean, I, supposedly he's a big shitty diva, or was in the 90s, who knows anymore. But, but also
2: maybe lifted some stuff.
1: Maybe, I don't know. Is there a story about that?
2: I thought there was a story about your band that you liked, Isis.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. That's, that was way later.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah, that's right. But, no, I don't know. I really, like, the first time I watched the movie, at the end, I was like... Is this, is this like a crypto allegation about literally Billy Corgan? Because it was like, I'm, yeah, I don't know. It's just I couldn't shake it. And I'm, I just thought that the filmmaker was like knew a new actual story about Billy Corgan <laughs> ripping off a trans woman <laughs> in real life. But, you know, couldn't get the movie made with Billy Corgan's name on. I don't know. I could not shake it. Sorry. Anyway. Okay.
0: You want to know about Tommy Gnosis? Yeah! Okay, I'll tell you about Tommy Gnosis. After my divorce, I scraped by with babysitting gigs and odd jobs. Mostly the jobs we call blow. (laughs) You know, I had lost my job at the base PX, and I had lost my gag reflex. You do the math. (laughs) I sat for the baby of General Speck. He was the commander of the nearby army fort, and his other son was, yeah, the artist formerly known as my butt boy. (laughs) We're talking about Tommy Speck at this time. Tommy Speck was a 17-year-old classic rock-loving Dungeons and Dragons obsessed Jesus freak with a fish on his truck. I found I found him incredibly hot.
2: We talked about it being a musical, but I didn't get a chance yet to ask you if you like the music. Yeah. You do? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to check.
1: You know, I know that you'll, like, play the soundtrack, and I don't think that I would just, like, throw on the soundtrack to Hedwig. For me, it's part of the movie. I mean, yeah, it's, it's. I I think they're, you know, well-written songs and really fun to listen to.
2: You don't want to just throw that on your car and sing really loud all the time, is what you're saying?
1: No, one of us does, but I don't think it's me. (laughs) Hedwig refers to it as punk a lot during the the movie, although it's it's drawing on a lot of stuff.
2: When I was writing my notes about the music today, I was writing down glam rock. Mm-hmm. And so I looked up what that means. It's something that I could point to and say that is glam rock. But mm-hmm. what does that mean in the way that is it a response to something or what what have you? And I learned something really interesting, which I would like to share with you, <laughs> is that um, so the glam rock kind of came as this form of rejection uh, to these super earnest uh, folk and protest songs hmm. of the um, 60s, late mm-hmm. 60s, early 70s. It kind of came about as a way to say, no, we embrace artifice, we prefer form over content we're happy to wear a mask and play a part and we're gonna draw openly grab things from every genre and admit to it and just put on a show and i read that and i was just uh really happy to read that in a way that i feel like hedwig is wearing a costume for the majority of this movie Mm -hmm. the person who is hansel is wearing a costume called hedwig for the majority of this movie so what a perfect genre for her to relate to so well mm-hmm. and um, of course that would be her milieu, right <laughs> like that this thing that's just like yeah this is all kind of quote-unquote fake interesting
1: to me. Yeah, very, it's right, the whole thing is very theatrical mm-hmm. and that's, that's of a real musical style too. I don't know, I mean, I think, I think the songs in Hedwig are way more listenable to me than any like st- straight up rock mm-hmm. bands. I mean, they really are, they but like beautifully, like, ex- like excellently written, earwormy, tight, um, fun songs and they, you know, they have emotional hooks into a character who, whose story I care about.
2: Well, maybe she's less playing, that maybe she's playing g- glam rock in the late 90s. Sure. But her preferred group of artists, I guess. Right, right. Might exist in that
1: Right. Yeah. And you can see, you know, so many mannerisms of, like you said, Iggy Pop and how she kind of stomps around and stretches and plays with the mic and stuff. It's really um, I I don't know. There's a lot of influences there that I'm not as familiar with, too. But like, I mean, knowing that Iggy Pop is one of many things that went into the blender of making that character in, in John Cameron Mitchell, making that character. Um, as well as you know, in, in the movie diegetically right. uh, making the character it makes so much sense because you can just you start looking for it and you see it right away but Iggy Pop or you know someone who plays punk rock wouldn't wear a t-shirt that said punk rock in it in right, bright right. colors but that's what's fun about Hedwig is because it's just like unashamedly like this is what I'm doing right now you're like sure. this, this is what I'm wearing right now musically stylistically
2: well is Iggy Pop more considered punk though I don't really know this Sort of thing. Oh, I don't know. It,
1: yes. it, I mean, punk's a pretty fucking slippery definition, anyways, and and, sure. and one that I'm ill qualified to speak sure. to, really. But um, he was really um, fun and reckless and upset people,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: which is what I what matters to, to me, me when I'm talking music. about punk. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, but if that if that definition of glam rock stands, then of course she would be wearing a T-shirt that says punk rock.
1: Right. And right. Just
2: really blatantly saying. Right.
0: The gods grew quite scared of our strength and defiance. And Thor said, I'm gonna kill them all with my hammer, like I killed the giants. But Zeus said, No, you better let me use my lightning like scissors, like I cut the legs off the whales, dinosaurs, and the lizards. And then he grabbed up some bolts, he let out a laugh. I'll split them right down the middle Gonna cut them right up in half
1: Something the movie does is over the course of the movie, this musical numbers get increasingly and increasingly detached from the real world of what leads into and out of them. And when it starts, it's like the movie starts. I think the first shot is Hedwig walking in the back door of the Biltwaters and throwing an umbrella to the side, <laughs> and uh, and then you know, chick, chick, you know, opening notes of those of the first song of the movie. Yeah, and it's pretty straightforward, like. At that point in the movie, the movie is just showing the reality of someone playing that set. As the movie goes on, it starts to play a little bit more fast and loose with, like... I mean, Hedwig will be in one place in the restaurant, and then in the next shot, she'll have teleported to another point, or, like, during the, um... I wish I could remember the fucking name of the song. Um,
2: you can call it Six Inches Four. Six like
1: inches Four, You know the song I'm talking about. Um, like the the band members are like literally like dropping their instruments, but their but the instruments can't even keep And it's and it's it, it doesn't. It's not that jarring because the movie is slowly kind of built that sure. up to the point where like the scene where Luther lo- leaves her, mm-hmm. it's shot very naturalistically and realistically. And then kinda of slowly pulls out, and then the side of the trailer that she's in living in, like, lifts up and mm-hmm. it's a stage. Yeah. And at this point, like if that was the first song in the movie, you'd be like what the fuck is that because I mean, there was no it didn't like jump from the one realistic thing to like now we're watching a music video thing it actually just like well this is a stage now and the, the, the wall is going to lift up and there's going to be lights and there's going to be the wigs and stuff to put on and you can see how more and more it, one way of taking this Hedwig is retreating deeper and deeper into the music and if this movie, I don't think this is this is a be-all end all way of viewing these sequences or interpreting the movie. But one I think interesting idea to play with is that Hedwig, every each is losing track of herself so much, or, or shrinking so much away from the reality of her situation and falling so much more into the kind of the musical reality and story that she's telling that. Every time, you know, one of these moments starts, it gets way and way more, like, detached from reality and way and way more like a music video. And and that's another reason I think... I said I was going to drop it, but last, I'll come around to it. The the total breakdown moment of going next door and, and watching Tommy sing, it's kind of the final version of that, where it's a complete break with reality, and Hedwig is, is, is briefly entirely lost in the song and doesn't even have any sense of what's physically around her.
2: Well, I think that's really great, and honestly, I said earlier... That we've never gone inside Hedwig's head in like that. We've had flashbacks and we've had little moments of like here and there fantasy, but to look at it in that way, of course I mean, of course we have, when she's sitting in her trailer and sings wig in a box, we have a moment where literally there's words on a screen and like a little wig bouncing and we all <laughs> sing along. You know, that's yeah. I, I don't think that happened that night. <laughs> like, right. that you know, was very much a moment of a complete fantasy. Well crap. I still don't like the last scene.
1: You don't have to. (laughs) I don't like it, but I mean, it does
2: help. And honestly, I like talking about it because it helps me to kind of, when I came upon the idea of it being more of a stage uh, thing that would work better on stage, Mm -hmm. that helped me a lot with it because I've just never liked it. It just Mm -hmm. always felt disjointed, but I was like, well, okay, fine. This was born of the stage. And so I can kind of see, just kind of lost its way here a little bit, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that's.
1: It's a scene I wouldn't cut, although I would cut something from the end. Because like we were talking about at the beginning, I think the movie uh, drags in in the last 30 minutes because it tries to have too many endings.
2: I agree with that. I think that once we get to the hotel room in New York and the passport tearing after that, I always kind of feel a little disappointed because I already feel like the movie is over and Mm -hmm. that the things that are going to follow are disjointed and... um, repetitive and a little boring hmm. to be completely honest hmm. and just not working as well as the rest of the movie it worked up to that point
1: hmm. um, so well the the reunion with Tommy in the limo is after that right
2: right right because she goes to be a prostitute right and meets Tommy yeah that part's fine-ish there's such a strong arc and there's such a strong story going on and then it just sort of goes down up down up ends and stops I, I, don't, I don't know yeah if the movie is deals with some dark subject matter and it deals with some really bummer feelings and some really like people being mean to each other and you know mm-hmm. it's not a lark um but particularly after that hotel room scene I think it it gets really dark and really like it's lost any of the fun as we've said seven times and seven times and it and it just feels lost after that hotel room scene it just mm-hmm. really feels lost to me and I'm
1: yeah, I think I think that the character stops being fun after the after that point.
2: Well, and is that I mean, maybe that's, that's the point. Like, why does she have to be fun all the time? I don't know. On the heels of talking about how she can be really miserable and horrible, but what we really like about her is her sense of humor and her hilarity and
1: right she, uh, which is really cynical and sarcastic mm-hmm. but a lot directed at herself and yeah but, but also, yeah, also, yeah. I think
2: she's very self-mocking and I mean not to say that there isn't anything great in that last part I mean the way that <laughs> when she's hooking and, like, she gets passed up by the first person and, like, the look on her face is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, her and Tommy's interaction when they're fighting about the Cyrus versus Osiris is, mm-hmm. is cute and um, her mug shot on the paper right. is the best picture of Hedwig ever. I mean, there's some stuff to giggle sure. at there, but it's, yeah. it's just a really dark last third. Yeah, and I think that we've,
1: well, maybe part of it is we've seen, we've spent An entire movie, like, kind of learning to love and inhabit this identity that Hedwig has created, that that Hedwig is, uh, around Hansel. And then we're just watching it just, like, fall apart and run out and not Hansel, the character Hansel hits a wall with the Hedwig uh, persona and it just stops, just runs out, it seems like, and falls apart. Um.
0: Get my passport and my camera, Hansel. It's a simple cut and paste job. We change the photo and you can use my name, Hedvig Schmidt. Not so simple, ladies. Mm-hmm. Baby, you know I love you. I'm always thinking of you. But I gotta marry you here in East Berlin. That means a full physical examination. Well, let's see right away that I have a... Oh, baby. To walk away, you gotta leave something behind. Am I right, Mr. Schmidt? (laughs) I always thought so, Luthor. To be free, one must give up a little part of oneself. And I know just the doctor to take it. (coughs) My sex scenes operation got botched. My guardian angel fell asleep on the watch. Now all I've got is a bobby doll scratch I've got an angry inch 6 inches by 5 inches back I got him I got an angry inch 6 inches by 5 inches back I got him I got an angry inch I'm from the land
1: where you So the first time you and I talked about this movie um I tried to make a comparison between Hedwig and other trans characters or I tried to say something about Hedwig's trans as a transgender character, and uh, you kind of changed my perspective on the movie more than anything, which is that it's kind of Hedwig's not really a trans character.
2: I don't think so, and I want to be very, very careful in this area and just say being trans is not my lived experience, Uh, being gay is not my lived experience, and what I know about it is a very small amount, (laughs) and so. If people ever write into your show and want to tell us, <laughs> because we don't know, you know, we, we don't know. and Maybe tell us how we're wrong, that'd be great because we like to learn. But my very basic and limited understanding of being transgendered, I've, Hedwig wouldn't fit into that. I think it's kind of an umbrella term that can mean that your expression of gender doesn't line up to your assigned sex. But I don't know how often it's really used that way. I mean, I think transgender, to me, more refers to an identity. And I don't think that the character we're speaking about, which we need to get our maybe our pronouns and our names correct here, um, I don't think that Hansel was, is a trans woman. I think that Hansel is a gay man who found himself in extreme circumstances that required extreme action. and. Acted in a way to get himself out of those circumstances, and then found himself inhabiting a role that wouldn't have been of his, his choosing if everything had been normal. I guess,
1: or even that if Hansel had had any concept of what it was to be a gay man. I mean, I think that one one way of understanding the character and how Hansel becomes Hedwig is as a child. Hansel Hansel knows he's different. Hansel doesn't identify with traditional like masculine you know models or icons or you know whatever symbols and you know he's kind of his hand is forced in in a certain sense that he has to physically become a woman to physically escape his circumstances but i think it's also kind of psychologically that he understands men in one way and women in another way and that that only only like heterosexuality is the only real paradigm he has to work with so it's not that much of a leap for him to think like well i know kind of who i am inside and it seems like more like a woman than a man from from a binary structures, that that's all i know and so he just, because he grows up in a, in a world where, where...
2: A very small world view yeah. where you wouldn't have had experience with seeing anything other than maybe that gender construct of right the yeah. binary. That's interesting. I never have thought of that. I just have always thought of him as gay and, and like secure in that orientation. You know, he never explicitly says that he's transgender. And then I had to take another note, which that he is that he never explicitly says that he's gay. Hmm. Um, And in fact, when in one of those early scenes, I think it's the scene where, yeah, he has the great sleep machine that he puts to womb (laughs) sounds, which is hilarious and great. And he and Yitzhak have sex. Hmm. He's talking about his other half and how to find this person. And is it a he or is it a she? Hmm. And then there's a more monologue that follows that. And the character keeps saying, did he run off with the good stuff? Did he, Is he embarrassing? But mm-hmm. he does start by saying, is it a he or she? So it could be assumed that this character could be bi or mm-hmm. anywhere on the spectrum. I mean, it's never explicitly stated. Um, so perhaps my decision about <laughs> this character's orientation is... You know, silly enough in itself. Where I've decided that he's not trans, but I've decided that he's gay. But no, nothing is explicitly said. So, well,
1: I think that your interpretation is so is dead on. There's no question that that Hedwig is not a uh, dyed-in-the-wool someone who identifies as a woman in 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 his heart of hearts.
2: I mean, I think that has to be right. 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 I mean, it's all over the movie. I mean, it's in the lyrics, like. wig in the box Mm -hmm. is a song about playing a part and then I go home and I put myself to bed or and then Mm -hmm. until I have to wake up again and be this part and I'll be Farrah Fawcett until Right. right I put on some makeup you know it's all about putting on the costume not about wanting to inhabit that role necessarily
1: and I think that one of the one of the powerful aspects of the handing the wig off to Yitzhak is um, is not only that Yitzhak has been the suppressed uh, someone who identifies internally as a woman, but uh, but that Hedwig is realizing that he's not.
2: Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know that we know mate. enough about Yitzhak to know whether or not he wants to be a crossdresser or if he is right. trans in the terms in which we're using it mm-hmm. um, I think we know enough about Hedwig to say that Hedwig is not a trans woman in the way that we're defining it sure. <laughs> and also not somebody who's drawn to cross-dressing I, I think it was completely circumstantial
1: but is good at it
2: <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> great at it
0: my name is Sergeant Luther Robinson my name is Hansen. Luther is silent for a moment as he stares at my little bishop in a turtleneck. Hansel. Well, you must like candy. I like
2: Gumi Um, I would say that he was born as a cisgendered male somebody who wants to be male born into a male body who um is a homosexual who probably prefers the company of men in bed that's what a homosexual is hmm. if you're a man okay not if you're a woman
1: <laughs> try and try and slow down it a little bit here i'm not sure i'm keeping who that.
2: identifies as a gay male and whose gender identity is Fluid in the way that he can play And dress up with it And f- and inhabit a role But I think if he had his druthers Would he ever have put on the wig? Probably not hmm. um, And I think you see that at the end of the movie When he's had a reckoning And come to see himself And kind of, he's torn off the drag mm-hmm. If you will um, And he sings Midnight Radio I think he he's very much interested in the show He's very mu- he's very He's a rock star I mean, he is He's always wanted to be in music and put on a show, but there's the, the need for the costume has never really been there. I think it was... Well, I think he needed it for a time, mm-hmm. clearly, to get through his life right. until he could come to terms.
1: The revelation of you telling me, uh, or, or you suggesting to me that Hedwig's not really a transgender person, that that this is a story of someone who was kind of coerced and confused into a female gender identity and then in a in an incredibly intense revelation near the end of the movie realizes that's not who he is anymore. But was he really never that? Was it always a put-on? Or was it that he really was Hedwig and really was, you know, tr- truly in his heart of hearts identified uh, or, or, or in her heart of hearts a she, um, that that just kind of due to the character's gender fluidity realizes that eventually that that's not who she is anymore.
2: I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think that, I guess, if it had been circumstances alone that created Hedwig, Hedwig could have died a lot sooner. And so, why, you know, why does Hansel keep being Hedwig for as long as he does is it just because I'm just is (laughs) it because he's had a traumatic surgery and everything has been flipped upside down and so this is how you live now I mean that's kind of how I've generally taken it until I can find my other half which I think is just him finding himself right Mm -hmm. this works for me and I wouldn't know what else to to do I guess, really, I guess in my heart of hearts, I feel like it's a put on, though. Hmm. I feel like it's something that Hansel is doing because he doesn't know how else to exist in the world after this trauma until he comes to terms with himself
1: yeah and and maybe maybe it's not a fair question. I mean, maybe it doesn't have to be one or the other. maybe it's this this is just the journey we go on in our lives is it sometimes things change and our perceptions of ourselves change and we can the way we see ourselves one minute might not be how we look back and see ourselves ten years later and is one right and one wrong maybe you know maybe neither is right or wrong they're, you know, maybe they're just two perspectives to view the same confused fucked up you know existence that we all go through
2: right why are we so concerned with figuring out whether or not hedwig was or wasn't you know this person's experience for a decade or more of Mm -hmm. their life was to live for lack of a better more specific word a a transgendered life in Mm -hmm. which you know his assigned sex didn't line up with his outward appearance or what what have you Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure i don't i don't have i've never thought about it and i don't have an answer for that i don't i think it's an interesting question but maybe one that doesn't even Really matter. Sure.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's really deliberate and apt that Hedwig was born the year the Berlin Wall went up, and is left by Luther the day the Berlin Wall comes down. Right. And that's when the wig, you know, that's when the persona is born. Right. And it's I think that the persona is born into a a new mentality of well maybe it's not one extreme or the other maybe the truth somewhat or lies somewhere in the middle for me. Mm-hmm.
2: Is it okay if I just contradict myself constantly on this podcast? I usually do. Okay. Great. One thing I really do like about the ending scene in which he literally walks out of the birth canal um, naked, you don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I have to think back to many years ago, seeing it the first time and being like, well, what's he going to choose? What is that person going to choose? Mm -hmm. Um, Everything is open to him, that person. (laughs) Um, And we don't have to know or need to know and whatever one works for you you can pick like um the Hansel's finding of himself or Hedwig being whatever um I always kind of liked the ambiguity of the ending and I think by having that character be just completely naked um with the fullness of the tattoo now on the hip where the, right. the two halves have come together um leaves it open and and I like that and my interpretation of that is that that person will go on to live his life as a cisgendered gay male, but it doesn't have to be that way. Sure. And if they're, I mean, obviously they're doing the birth canal and so naked, but if there had been even one piece of clothing on the character, then that would not be ambiguous.
1: Right, right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I had the same read as you. I had a, I had it as, as uh, Hansel being kind of like going out, you know, going out for the first time, into the world as who he truly is, mm-hmm. and and that is as in, you know an ostensibly male, you know, gay man, who who had to kind of go through this insane, complicated, you know, gender roller coaster to. Realize who he was and who he was prepared to be and accept himself. And... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I love that last scene. I think it's so, you know, raw and uh, delicate. And I love that he... I think he... If I'm remembering right, maybe you can correct me. He kind of walks out of sight and then some people walk across the street kind of between the camera and him and they're not like turning their head like, what the fuck? You know, there's none of that. It was just like, it's not me and my... Who I am that's just the whole world's focus It's just like I can just be one Of the human beings in the city Who just exists
2: yeah. It's definitely A really complicated issue and a really Interesting piece of the movie and I think that It's open for interpretation mm-hmm. I mean to a certain degree And I guess it would depend on your Definition of trans Sure. Um, which isn't for me to say, <laughs> really. Right. as always <laughs> words are <laughs>
1: very you know, limiting and the human beings are very, you know, no two humans are alike And any word you choose to describe more than more than one person is necessarily going to be oversimplifying something that's very complicated. Sure. You know, this isn't a movie that you can point to and say, like, well, here, here's an example of the lived experience of a trans woman, because that's really this really not the story. We're seeing right. it's 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 a very it's a it's a very unique character That's not meant to speak to the broader experience of people who identify as trans
2: or right, you know.
0: right. What do you think you think love lasts forever? No, but this song does <laughs> Don't knock a multi-platinum single. Oh, when are you suddenly, Mr. Commercial? I wish I could hit those notes. She's been singing this song on a loop for three days.
2: (laughs) When our protagonist, maybe I'll keep saying from now as we (laughs) are switching back and forth here, has been left by Luther and is sitting in the trailer and the newsreel plays, they then pull up a couple of postcards, one of which is Luther, like, eating a huge hot dog. So, great. (laughs) But another one is his mother on vacation because the wall has fallen. Mm-hmm. And he's really mad at both of them. He throw, like he throws both of them equally hmm. hard and away mm-hmm. from himself. And I think in the scene, Hansel's really excited about leaving and she, and puts on the wig. You know, Luther's like, oh, ladies, it doesn't work that way. You're going to have to leave a little thing behind. Mm-hmm. And the mom is just immediately there to say, yes, I agree. I've always thought so. And here I know the doctor. Hmm. You know, So I was wondering a little bit about his...
1: That's true. Feeling towards his
2: mom, too.
1: Yeah, it's that's interesting because the it movie could just as, as easily have said, like Luther could say, I know a doctor. Right. Implicates mom, you know, pretty strongly, too. Right. Yeah.
2: Really crappy situation from the two people that are supposed to be taking care of you, I guess. The only two authority
1: figures in Hansel's life, yeah. Um, before we leave young Hansel, I don't think I've ever seen in a, mo- a a scene in a movie that encapsulates what it's like to be nine years, eight years old and really into a piece of music <laughs> as young Hansel dancing on the bed. I mean, one long shot that just kills me it kills every me time. Every
2: time. And I've seen what was my final answer? Perhaps 35 times yeah. this movie. It is always my favorite. Yeah. That kid is the best. Yeah. The absolute best for yeah. sure. Yeah. Right. Such a good scene.
1: That, yeah, that was me before my spirit was ground under the heel of uh, my I know. classmates.
2: I mean, that's another, that's a good point, right? Is like, that's a really, can be a really nostalgic thing. Yeah. Not only is that kid great and just killing it with his particular brand of dancing, but yes, being on the bed and like, just like having joy in life. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> like, just jumping on a bed or just having a band, like abandon, you know, mm-hmm. really great.
1: Yeah, unselfconscious.
2: Unself conscious,
1: yeah. Your show. That song. My dad gave me this guitar to apologize
0: for being such a pathetic little dictator. He sang me songs.
1: Classics.
0: The uh, bands I mean, were new to me. I uh, yeah. Boston. Kansas. America. Europe. Asia. <laughs> Travel exhausts me.
1: Another thing about Hansel's relationship with Luther is that it's established that Luther's not his first older male sexual partner, right? I mean, he comes from...
2: Right.
1: Uh, his biological father was sexually abusive, I think.
2: Well, that was something I wanted to ask you about. I mean, that is definitely my read on it. Um, and it's something I really, really don't care for about the movie. Hmm. But yes, I mean, we can just start with the father... Uh, who is thrown out um i watched this with a german friend of mine once and asked what the mom was yelling mm. and she said the first part was a uh, child fucker but then the second part she couldn't suss it out she was like either that's not real german or i just can't mm. In some dialect or something i mean she was an actual german person from munich but she couldn't figure out what the woman was saying but she was like it's kind of she was like it's kind of like can you hear Kinder? She's like Ken when she's slapping them mm-hmm. like the Kinder. It's like child fucker or child bother or something. Sorry, but yeah. So because I was curious what she was yelling. Right. Because I was really reluctant for a lot of viewings to agree with what the movie was telling me, which was that his father had been abusing him and all of these other people in his diary had been abusing him. I think it's a little too close to a gross trope for me that you get abused and then you become gay and your gender is not quote unquote normal. Right. So I was curious if you, obviously you have the same read. I mean, what other read is there? I, I was just like kind of living in denial because I didn't want the movie to be saying that.
1: Right. I don't know. It gets, it gets into really, really shaky territory on how gay men and women and trans men and women are understood by society i think that even well meaning people sometimes think that you know homosexuality or trans transgender people are a result of a upsetting childhood yeah. that 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 shook their natural or god given sense of themselves and even people who were you know ready and willing to accept Homosexuality or transgender people sometimes always, so, or, or, or sometimes think that across the board it's a reflection of a troubled childhood that forced them out of a natural state or a mentality. And you're right, it's disappointing to, to take a read on this movie I, I, th- th- that way um, it because is my, it is a trope.
2: My least favorite thing about the movie, and I, yeah. like I was saying, I think that's why I was in denial because I was like, why would a gay man? Right surely aware of this. Right. Place that into... But, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's not like you can never show rape and you can never show a trope. And, like, you know, it's your choice. But it's my least very least favorite thing about it and it's not like the movie doesn't have
1: enough already leading setting hedwig setting hedwig on the path to hedwig's path right i agree yeah i don't know i mean it's hedwig is a fucked up character and i think that i don't think that i don't think i would have a problem with hansel being subject to that i don't have any problem with that being part of hansel's story and I don't have any problem with that being part of what's so damaged about Hansel and why Hansel has so much trouble relating to his bandmate, whose name I keep forgetting. Yitzhak. Yitzhak, you know, physically or you know, has has constantly shifting ideas about sex and intimacy. I don't. I don't think that that's a problem with the movie. I think that that it, it all fits together, except. It's such like you said a trope. It's so like you can't put a trans person in a in a story without explaining why they're trans why, or they're gay. Right. With without like in introducing some childhood trauma that that split them psychologically and fucked them up and that's right. why they're fucked up and trans equals fucked up
2: and gay equals fucked up.
1: Um, yeah, and and I think that the movie falls prey to that and it's disappointing, I think, that it would be a better movie without that. Oh, yes. Or it would be a better movie if it had that, but the world didn't presuppose that you had to have that in every movie about a trans or you know, non-cis character.
2: Right. Do you think that that's a product of its time, given that it was 2001? I, I, I mean, if Hedwig was made today, do you think that that would be a part of the movie? It's kind of a throwaway, honestly. Hmm. It's... He's just found his diary and it's on paper towels because he's in East Berlin mm-hmm. has nothing and he's drawn little stick figures of spooning and and then the father, of course he's has has lived a life with an absent father who right. also a father who was very, very bad person, apparently. but that's you know three minutes right. of the movie Like it's kind of just throwaway like it doesn't really. Do anything other than set up this trope in which, of course, I'm not a straight
1: male. Right, which is disappointing because obviously, obviously, I mean, it should go without saying, but people have the gender identities that they have and that they, um,
2: and the it's not a result of, that they have.
1: right, and it's not a result of being broken mm-hmm. at a young age and being confused or fucked up or, it, it's a really destructive and, and miserable narrative.
2: That is true, but. It just occurred to me that perhaps um, we've got the scenes of people like actual scenes of people fleeing and like running their eyes eyeballs into barbed wire. <laughs> we've got um, him saying that his he was her mother was teaching sculpture to limbless children, right? I mean we've got him playing in an oven. It's his only space. He, we've got the bad dad. I mean maybe it's just a world building in which. They really want you to know how
1: right, B- by any means necessary to yeah. get out of here. Yeah,
2: it's probably a more generous read on that particular piece of it. But sure, but,
1: sure, but, yeah, and in one in one that's just as believable as any other. Sure. Ex- except that you know there's a there's a trope that fits into tradition, Um, so yeah, it's there's there's no reason not to take it that way, just as just as readily. Yeah, it's a little bit of a bummer. Yeah. Summoning
0: God, so sewed the wound, wound up into a hole, pulled around to a bed to remind us of the, the price we pay, and the Cyrus, the gods of the land. Wait, did you sing the Cyrus? No. No, you just sang the Cyrus on that recording. The Cyrus, Cyrus, the, the Cyrus, the God. There's no god called Cyrus. It's Osiris. It's an Egyptian god. Remember, we read that book. We had two versions, to that we no, we had two versions of that song. One version. No, we had two versions of that song. And you fucked it up.
2: I know. I was just thinking about the origin of love, the song, mm-hmm. and I really, really love it. And when we were talking about what I would play in my car, I mean, that's that's really it is that song I really really love that it's a combination of a bunch of old stories from a bunch of different cultures combined into one to explain why we're lonely (laughs) as humans and um, it occurred to me today that maybe well according to the song I think that maybe our original sin was that we were too happy and that is Hedwig's story and that is Hedwig's song which is in a contradiction to Tommy's really traditional Christian story about why we've been punished. Mm -hmm. Our original sin via Hedwig was that we were too happy because we were whole and we knew ourselves. Tommy's story is that we wanted to know too much. And I, as the song says, like, um, strong and defiant. And that is not what our corporeal life is for we are supposed to be suffering down here (laughs) until we get to ascend to a higher plane in which we get to be happy. And so, yeah, knowing ourselves leads to strength and defiance, and it's it's, an interesting question because the movie is constantly grappling with finding the other half and finding what makes you whole. And I think that Hedwig, the character Hansel Hedwig, at the end of the movie has subsumed the female part and the male part, There would be no telling via genitalia or anything what gender or what that person is by any of our traditional methods. (laughs) Um, And that is when that person is whole, is when they have shed every auspice of tells, I -hmm. guess, um, and really just combined all of these forces that exist in our world and become a whole person. Um, And I thought that was interesting.
1: I mean, it, the origin of love is one of the, you know, people's most beloved parts of the movie, the people I've talked to. And for a good reason, you know, it's it's a, it's really poetic. And I don't remember in the movie if it's an idea that Hansel comes across or is introduced to or that Hansel is meant to have come up with.
2: I th- I think in the... I know, I'm not sure if it's explicitly said, but I believe in the movie it's meant to be after Hedwig has been Hedwig right. and is writing the songs with Tommy because this this is the song where Osiris is mentioned right. and Tommy sings Cyrus.
1: Right, right. So I think not it's, quite getting it.
2: Correct. <laughs> but, but I think that
1: I, I think it's deliberate that that this is a theology for Hedwig that's important and poetic and meaningful, but also incomplete. I think that Hedwig wants this to be how how the world is and how relationships are and you're finding your exact other half that was split from you but it's a, it's it's a it's a philosophy that's unsatisfying because it never comes true for Hedwig in 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 the sense that Hedwig understands it and I think I think it's it's great and it gets Hedwig to the mindset that Hedwig needs to be in and start to start to understand but I think Hedwig's revelation where that, you know, he, she understands both sides to be within him or herself is not just like the culmination of that idea, but also a sense, kind of graduating from that idea mm-hmm. in a sense, you know, because it, obviously it's not. I mean, it's on its face. It's not a complete explanation of sexuality or of even just Hedwig. Right. I mean, it doesn't either your other half is a man or a woman in that story. But in reality, you know, bisexual people exist. People who have gender fluidity exist. There's um, it's not it's 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 a starting point. It helps Hedwig understand sexuality. Mm -hmm. But I think that at the end, Hedwig has kind of graduated from it.
2: Yeah, I think that that's right. I think that it works on two levels. So I think and something I love about it is the idea that. Here are some really, really old stories that mm-hmm. I wish that I could just say, uh, list off on of my fingers right now, right? I mean, obviously, we've got Thor, and we've got Osiris, and, you know, but this, like, some really, really old stuff going way back to when, to when we were just starting to write our stories as humanity... And the idea that a man and a man would be together, a woman and a woman, or a man and a woman would be together. There's that level of it, which just speaks to kind of your sexual orientation. And that having been always around and natural and fine. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that is our history and that's how it's always been. like that. But then there's another level that it works on, which is maybe too much to get into tonight. But this idea of trying to make yourself whole... So it doesn't have to do with your sexual orientation. It just has to do with using that as a metaphor for my other half is my male aspects. My other half is my female aspects. And anyone can be saying either of those things and to just accept them Mm -hmm. wholeheartedly and recognize that you aren't.
1: Yeah, knowing who you are and who you aren't and what. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's represented in her little tattoo that's always uh, bifurcated and then it's pushed together, having her be turning into a whole circle. Mm-hmm. I think that sh- that person has figured it out.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, both of you. That song was by Mr. Kurt Cobain. Now that kid's got a future, huh? How about Kwang Yi on guitar, ladies and gentlemen? Give it up. Wang Yi! Get it up, Quang.
1: You know, I'd like to take it down a little.
2: And then I just had one more question about tropes for you with this movie. Okay. Let's um, so
1: not end on a down note. Are we going to end on a no down note? No, we're not, note? because
2: then I have um, a couple of favorite lines. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, regarding Tommy and another tropey thing. So, we talked about uh, the maybe abuse leading to homosexuality and or trans yeah so tommy's reaction to putting his hand down hedwig's skirt was not cool he should not have left and he clearly isn't an adult yet i'm not sure how old he's supposed to be but
1: i i read him as a virgin Mm. Did yeah. you?
2: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he's super Christian, so.
1: I don't, yeah, it's, I don't think it's ever made 100% explicit, or maybe even even is, but I always took him that way.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess that would make a lot of sense, but um, I don't think that he's particularly kind in that moment. He's not unkind. He says, I love you, but he does run away. Yeah. And it's really painful for Hedwig, but I don't know how I feel about the front of her being a surprise to her lover. I'm not sure how cool that is. And the tropey thing about that is that trans women are always trying to trick men, Hmm. Mm -hmm. which is another kind of disappointing part in, in this. And, you know, Hedwig isn't played as a character who's trying to trick Tommy into anything. I mean, she's only ever played as someone who's disappointed that he won't kiss her From the front, you know, that he's maintained a perfect ignorance at the front of me. But at the same time, you're also not talking about it. And I'm just not sure that that should have been a surprise to her lover. And um, sure, I think that's
1: another scene where, where Hedwig is culpable. But at the same time, it's, I mean, the the gut punch of it is that you're completely, I mean, who do you identify with at that moment, right? So sure. I I think, I think you're right. I think that, you know, you, you, no one, no one wants that to be that's to be that.
2: She's not equipped, and they haven't Yeah, she's not and right. She's also like what twenty one or something. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're right. both young. I, she, I know. She's
1: not. She's not equipped. She's she just forgets herself yeah. in that moment, yeah. and that's you know that's what's supposed to happen when you f- fall into that pat passionate moment. You're supposed to forget yourself, mm-hmm. and then it just bites her brutally, brutally mm-hmm. immediately. And I think that it's to the movie's credit that it plays his reaction as not ideal, <laughs> right. right? But pretty fucking understandable for someone who hasn't you know sure. even considered the existence of anyone on, on any gray area of the spectrum between male and female and i
2: think that's right it doesn't play wrong to me but sitting in 2015 having been enlightened a little bit about trans issues and having been lucky enough to have it become a part of the conversation in this society um this is a trope in which uh, often a claim against trans women is that they're gonna try and trick you. You know, right. they've got it out for you and they really have a penis and so look out and you right. know, it leads to a lot of violence and nastiness. And so here we are right. talking about a movie that was probably shot in nineteen ninety nine but with twenty fifteen goggles, I'm just like, Ugh, shouldn't you have said something but I think they both come off pretty sympathetically in that. I mean his Tommy's reaction isn't perfect, isn't great. He's a kid, her reaction her actions weren't great either. hmm
1: I, you know, in some sense, there's a recognition of that, right? I mean, I think that a, a woman's lived experience is like, you know, un, you know, love all of me. Don't just love the part of me that's, you know, sexually available to you. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's there's a lot going on in their relationship that I think translates to heterosexual relationships, too. I think that's one of the successes of the movie is that it, it transcends gender and sexual boundaries. And you, and, you, and one of the reasons it's really easy to sympathize with Hedwig, here's something I would love to cut. but just it's on my mind you know um, trans issues are really at the forefront right or not not, probably not enough at the forefront but trans issues are on the radar right now in a way that they haven't been to me in my lifetime until really the last few years and it forces you to reckon with some of your expectations about gender and stuff and I think that one of the things I notice in myself is that Like, say someone shows a clip of a trans person talking about their experience or whatever. Like, I can hardly even hear what they're saying until I figured out in my brain, well, is this someone who was born male and Mm -hmm. has transitioned to female? Is this someone who was born female and transitioned to male? Like, I feel like I need to, when I'm just looking at someone and listening to them... I have to figure out which bucket they're in in my brain before I can start to even process what they're saying. And it makes me realize that there's a filter. There's a filter on my experience. I hear some people differently than I hear other people. And it's I I, I want to say it's not malicious. I mean, I think I can safely say a a woman's experience growing from age zero to age 18 is different than a male's experience growing from age zero to age 18. And there's certain assumptions that we often will make when when we're trying to understand what someone's saying to us and what their experience is and what they're coming from. Why is it important for me to know what gender this person was born as?
2: Again... Right in if you know more than me, which will probably sure. be off everybody. But I think gender is literally the first thing you start learning, more so than race, more so than your SES. I mean, it it is those things that really define people and like make different distinctions. Gender, it is from day one you start dressing a baby in a color, mm-hmm. and that signifies something. And your mother speaks away, and your father speaks away. The stuff is overt and it is insidious and it is hidden as well as it is over you know i mean it's it's not only out in the open but it is very much just ingrained there's like tacit things that you pick up on there's um the way you hold your hands i mean from the minute i mean kids are a sponge and from the minute they can they start learning gender because we're all acting it out constantly and so to try to think to uh, learn a language later in your life or how hard it is to unlearn A, B, and C, nothing is going to be harder than trying to unlearn what we think we know about gender, Mm -hmm. Um, and people will lose their shit the most over this issue because of that exact reason. From the minute you arrive, it is just instilled, and it is just driven home, and nobody's, you know, it's not like you're having classes about what it is to be a girl, but you really are every day all day long and likewise to be a boy and so it is when you're talking about watch we went to a panel and watched some trans people speak and I imagine we were both doing the same thing it was like well okay so they were born but then and then you know instead of just listening to their experience we're Mm -hmm. trying to figure out who they really are quote unquote right it's so deeply hardwired into our brain because just from the minute that we arrive on the planet it starts being hardwired into our brain some of us are lucky to be enough to be born into a body that we feel comfortable in and some of us are not. And that's just it.
1: So, we both hate it. Hate it. Right. Can't wait to never watch it again.
2: Yep. Um, um, favorite things? I mean, of course, of course. Um, some bitch on my way in here. What poor fortunate creature had to die for you to wear that? Of course, right. that whole scene is yeah. amazing. Now you're interested, huh? It's Perfect. <laughs> Hedwig on the tires, I'm pretty sure she's drinking Zemo, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, I, the first time I watched the movie, I came away with like well, if nothing else, I can come away from this movie with because I, I don't know. I was I was like, what what was that movie? I don't even know. Where, I can't get my pairings. Like I said, the second watch was really the the what crystallized everything for me. But from the moment I saw Hedwig smeared makeup, right. laying on the tires, drinking, definitely Hazima.
2: wearing her own fan, wearing fan. her foam <laughs> wig over her wearing
1: real makeup. wig, and just <laughs> totally drunk and totally like. You want to hear the Tommy story, and everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah,", yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's like, it's, it's that's like Hedwig on a throne of garbage of her own amazing and terrible life. Mm-hmm. That's, um, it's hard to fuck with that scene. That's uh, couldn't have been better.
2: Well, I guess we just have to end on Quan Yi.
1: Quan Yi, unsung hero of Hedwig and the Angry Inch.
2: Oh my God, I love Kuan Yi so much! Uh, Again, thank
1: you for sticking with us for three and a half hours of this podcast. (laughs) We we are finally coming (laughs) to Kuan Kuan Yi, what you've all tuned in for.
2: (laughs) Again, thirty-five watchings—it never ceases to crack me up. She's amazing and the best. She's... (laughs) She's...
1: <laughs> to someone who's only just watched this movie once, you might have to say who Kwon Yee is. Oh,
2: she's part of the Korean sergeant's wives that we puts together while she's living on the base. They have a mean rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kwon plays guitar. She's got huge hoop 80s earrings on and, like... Probably some sort of like leot- it's a leotard fabric, pink with the little gather right here mm. and like in between her breasts, as you would in the eighties. <laughs> Long sleeved, it's perfect. <laughs> she's just perfect, and she shred- she shreds really hard.
1: Yeah, she's like doing the hold the guitar in the air and stab at it with the pick and yeah. the O mouth like the o-
2: yeah, oh! <laughs> yeah the
1: best yeah. Yep. Should have just ended there, huh? Yep. (laughs) Well, we will do the movie one better and just end here.
2: Thanks for talking to me about this movie. I really like this movie.
1: I, well, yeah, I wish you'd said so. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's a one of a kind movie. And if you've only watched it once for this podcast, I would encourage you to watch it again now that you know all the songs and can sing along. It's a whole new experience the second time around. episode, you, me, and Aaron are going to talk about two movies. This is the breaking the format season of In the Cut. Uh, We're going to talk about the two versions of Lolita, uh, which came out in one year and then a different year, neither of which I can remember right now. (laughs) Um,
2: 60s and 90s. The
1: 60s and the 90s version, and the 90s one has Jeremy Irons, and the 60s one was directed by Stanley Kubrick. Mm -hmm. That's as much as my tired ass can remember right now about those two movies. But when we're talking about it, Mm -hmm. we will have just watched both of those movies and have much more to say than that.
2: We'll also be talking about the book, and the whole thing should be pretty confusing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're only talking about three concurrent and overlapping (laughs) narratives simultaneously, shifting through them randomly and without warning.
2: That none of us are really that familiar with.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I hope you'll come back and join us for that. Uh... As I mentioned before, you will be able to go to inthecut.org and click links that will take you to websites upon which you can watch these movies unbelievably on your computer or mobile device. What has the future wrought? I would recommend you do that, that you go to inthecut.org and find the links to the movies there, as opposed to typing Lolita into Google search and oh, having no. your entire <laughs> life ruined. I think it watch either or both, and I think you'll there'll be there'll be plenty for for your mind to chew on in either or both of them. And uh, come back and join us in two weeks.
2: Bye. I'm talking about
1: Lolita. Thanks. Bye. Hedvig is not a trans
0: voice. You know, she's not a gay. Vo- gay was the least of her problem. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like it is the other. You know, I am not. I don't belong here. On earth, in this country, in this planet, in this school, in this body, what do I do? Who am I? Everyone understands that.